Hello everyone, this book is called Kenny and the Dragon and it's by Tony, Tony Dettelisi, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. This is the purpose of a book with, hold on, innumerable chapters. Anyway, before I forget, many years ago, hold on, I know what you were thinking. You're thinking a book about a dragon should start with Once Upon a Time. But this one doesn't, because frankly, I don't really know what once upon a time means. Now, I was once upon a horse, and that was fun. Also, I was once upon a knight galloping on his horse, but that's another story altogether. So instead, let me start our tale with this. Once upon a farm in a town just west from yours, and on a Wednesday many years ago, a rabbit farmer, his wife and their son Ken Kenneth were preparing to sit down to supper. Now, Kenneth seems a little formal for a boy's name, doesn't it? No kid would say, Kenneth, can I borrow a pencil? No, they'd say, Ken, Kenny, can I borrow a pencil? And no doubt, our Kenny would not even notice when they swiped it from his school desk. For you see, Kenny always had his head buried in a book. And he loved to read all sorts of subjects, science, mysteries, histories, and even fairy tales. In fact, fairy tales and natural history the two favourite topics, and as far as Kenny was concerned, both held the same merit in, this, in the real world. So, it is not surprising that he enjoyed going to school. He always asked compelling questions, always did his homework, complete with footnotes and a bibliography, and always had fantastic notions about what he wanted to do when he grew up. One day, he'd want to be an astronaut and meet extraterrestrials, from a distant planet. The next he'd decide on a jungle explorer looking for living dinosaurs, or he'd build a submersible that could go deep in the ocean to find lost underwater cities. Each day it was something new. That kid has such an imagination, his English teacher would say. His identification of lo local flora and fauna is quite impressive, his science teacher would say. Kenny Rabbit, he's kind of out there, his classmates would say and to a certain degree they were right. You see, like them, Kenny grew up on a farm, and both his mother and farm father were farmers. They came from generations of farmers who grew vegetables and ra raised livestock. So his parents, like most of his neighbours, really didn't have time to read books. They were just too busy tending the farm. You can't harvest corn with a book, his mum would say. No bookie book's gonna bring the sheep in at sundown, his dad would say. Regardless of what they thought, though, his parents did their very best to support Kenny in all that he did, right down to listening to his lengthy theories on this and that over dinner. You see, Kenny would tell them, it's going to rain because cold air and warm air collide in the upper atmosphere. This creates thunder, and it causes the moisture within the cumulus clouds to fall. I thought it was just going to rain because the clouds are laying down, his dad would reply and most folks in the town would have agreed with Kenny's dad. Hold on a second. What's the name of that town? I can't believe I've forgotten. It was near water, if I recall correctly. Dunhill? No. That's in the northern province. Meadow Falls? That's not it either. But it w was it a stream or a river? Roundbrook? Yes, that's it. The town was sort of roundish in layout, with a brook running through the middle of it. Goodness, I can't believe I'd almost forgotten. Not something a fellow in my position should allow. All right then. So in the little farming town of Roundbrook, Kenny lived with his parents, went to school, did his chores on the farm and filled the rest of his time reading, which is precisely where we find him at the beginning of our tale. Chapter 1. The Devil Scourge. Kenny's father burst into the kitchen panting heavily. His ears twitched. It was supper time. And Kenny's mum was making his her family favourite corn chowder. The soup's heavy aroma swirled about as the farmer moved through the room. Pack all your things! We're out of here! We're moving! Kenny's dad hollered. He was scraggly-haired, fellow wearing a wide-brimmed hat, and he was trying to catch his breath, breath as if he'd been running. Moving? Not now, mister, Kenny's mum replied. The corn's not boiling yet. The broth isn't quite right and I still have to sew the patches on Kenny's trousers for school tomorrow. Kenny's dad paused, walking to the stove, 
dipped a finger in the pot and agreed it still wasn't quite right. Get your dirty paws out of my chowder. Wash your hands, have some milk and tell me what's got you so riled up. She ground a little pepper into her broth. Unlike Kenny's father, she was soft, round, huggable and seemed to always be adorned in an apron with a spoon in her hand. Kenny's dad did as he was told. Then he stroked his ears and started. This afternoon, my eyes saw something I wish I'd never seen. I went to, to Shepherd Home, the flock up on top of Shepherd's Hill, where they had been grazing all day. As soon as I get up there, I see the sheep all huddled and quiet on the far side of the hilltop. And I think to myself, what in the world has got them so spooked? So I wander over to the other side of the hill. You know where them rocks and boulders are? Mm-hmm. Here, taste this. Better? Oh, yes, much better. So I... Hold on, dear. Kenneth, get out here and set the table. The wooden floorboards creaked as Kenny shuffled into the kitchen, his head buried in his book. He was reading a story about a giant written by a man named Oscar. Without looking up, the small skinny lad opened the cupboard and grabbed the plates to place on the table. Not plates, bowls, Kenneth. I told you earlier we're having corn chowder tonight. Get your head out of the clouds, put the book down for a minute and set the table properly. His mum snatched the book out of his paws and set it on the counter. The wooden counter was dingy or dinged, scratched and stained from years of use. Pots and pans hung from the ceiling right above where Kenny's mum was cooking. She reached over and opened one of the numerous round windows to allow the cool country air into the kitchen. Do you want to hear the rest of my story? Kenny's dad whimpered through his milk moustache. Of course, dear, of course. What did you find in the rocks? His mum said as she tasted the soup. So there I am climbing up them big rocks and boulders. All the while I'm thinking there must be a wolf, a lion, a bear hiding in there. Remember I said I heard those weird whooshing sounds coming from the hill last week? Kenny folded the napkin, napkins and placed them around the banged up wooden table. I remember that, he said. I thought, hold on, son, hold on, his dad interrupted, waving his hands about. So I make some noises of my own to see if I can spook it off. And that's when I saw it. Kenny stopped setting the table and looked up. Saw what? The gears in the lad's brain began to turn. He realised his father's tale involved some sort of encounter with a carnivorous animal. Kenny figured he could determine just what his dad had seen based on the description. A lion was out of the question. They were too far east for lions. Wolves usually travelled in packs and were rarely seen in these parts, but bears did prefer rocky outcrops and caves. Well, first I saw something burning. Not wood, but something smoky-like. Then I see a pair of glowing eyes and then a head, as big as this here table, peers out from an opening in the side of the hill and it's covered in horns and scales and fur like a crocagator. You mean an alligator, Kenny corrected him, though he wondered what sort of alligator had horns and fur. Exactly. But have you ever seen a blue alligator with a neck like a turkey and a body like one of them giant lizzy things in your book? You mean dinosaurs, Dad? Those really did exist, you know. Scientists have even found their bones in old... No, son. This wasn't one of them brontosaurus rexes. His father looked him in the eyes. It was like one of them flying things that eats pretty maidens and burns castles to the ground. Kenny paused for a moment. It can't be, he said to himself. It couldn't be. He put the last of the silverware in its place on the table. His father just sat there staring at him with his big eyes, glancing over at his mother. Kenny noticed that she had stopped cooking and was looking at them quietly and holding the ladle. He turned back to his father. Dad, are you talking about a dragon? Yes, son, I am talking about one of them dragons. He started pacing around the kitchen, waving his arms wildly. It's taken up residence on the side of Shepherd's Hill and we've got to sell the farm and move before that devil the, the scourge comes down and burns everything right to the ground. Thank you, everyone. Hello, everyone. This is the second chapter in Kenny and the Dragon. Called Dishes and Homework. Not in a million years, Kenny's mum said. She then blew on a spoonful of soup and sipped it up. 
but mum it's a dragon i want to go and see it before anybody else does who knows what that thing could do to you you could get bit or scratched up and it's probably carrying all kinds of diseases right pa as usual kenny's father was much calmer now that he had eaten and kenny studied him as he started on his third bowl of chowder the dainty wooden soup spoon looked odd held in his rugged worn paws in fact he half in fact the lad half waited for his father to lift the bowl up and slurp the remainder of the chowder instead he calmly said if kit thinks he can handle the likes of a dragon then i think we should let him after all he continued winking at his son he ain't not little bunny any more his mum folded her napkin and set it on the table she sighed all right but not until you finish the dishes and your homework oh i could do those later let me go now please dishes and homework first she repeated as she pointed at him with her spoon Kenny cleared the table and cleaned the dishes in record time. As he finished drying the last of the soup bowls, he watched the sun sink lower and lower in the darkening sky. When he was finished, he ran into his room and dumped his book bag upside down on the bed. Textbooks spilled out, pencils rolled off onto the floor, and loose papers scattered like white leaves. Kenny shuffled through it all and picked up stars and their constellations, the book he was supposed to do a book report on. It was his last assignment for the school year, and it would be an easy one for him, as he'd read the astronomy text front to back several times already now, and he simply needed to write the report. Or, he thought, with a little persuasion on my teacher, Mr. Skunkmere, I could do an oral report instead, and I won't have to write anything. So technically, I'd be finished with my homework. However... An oral report meant going in front of the class and talking. The last time Kenny had done that, it was on the topic of the migration of the ruby-throated hummingbird for his science class, and it hadn't gone so well. One of his class classmates had started snoring loudly, and another hooted, snoring boring, bringing snickers to the entire room as Kenny tried to give his presentation. The other kids just didn't get excited about that stuff, the stuff that he did. But honestly, who wouldn't be fascinated by the idea of a tiny bird flying all over the world by itself? If a little hummingbird could do that, well, then. He paused in his thoughts, for there on the bookshelf next to his copy of Amazing Hummingbird Stories was an old bestiary he had borrowed from his friend George. He grabbed the leather-bound tome and opened it up. It smelled musty and old, and in one whiff, Kenny was back in George's dim bookshop in a beat-up armchair surrounded by stacks of books. Even though the shop appeared messy, it was quite organised. Yet only George knew where everything was, as he hardly ever left his little, little literary sanctuary. When Kenny would visit, the retiree would always recount a story of how his past adventures usually overcame a game of chess and he had plenty of new and interesting books to show. Many times he would let Kenny borrow books from the store as long as he took good care of them and return them in their brand new condition for once Once he was finished. Sometimes he just let Kenny keep them as a gift. Kenny flipped through the yellow pages of the bestiary, Albatross, Bear, Chimera, Dragon, he said aloud. Kenny hadn't finished this book yet and had read only some of the entries. The illustrations for the dragon showed a vicious, sinewy, coiled monster belching white-hot flames. An actual dragon, the young rabbit said to himself. It's like seeing a living dinosaur. Imagine bringing him to class for the science fair. He turned the page and there were more pictures. One was of an armoured knight fighting a dragon. In one hand the knight held a shield, in the other a long lance, with which he was pinning the reptilian beast down to the blackened, scorched earth. Fallen knights littered the, ground, the background, 
a little gear in Kenny's mind clicked into place. Maybe I can do my report on, on this beachery instead and add my own field observations, he said, slamming the book shut and shoving it into his worn leather book bag. I'd better get prepared. Dashing through the house, Kenny grabbed a pot, a pan, some rope and an old broom and a garbage can lid. He strapped the blackened frying pan to his chest using the rope and his belt. Placing the pot on his head, he rolled up his sleeves to his flannel shirt and grabbed the broom, the lid and his book bag as he headed for the door. His mother and father were sitting in their rockers on the front porch. His dad was smoking his after-dinner pipe while his mum was stitching a patch onto the knee of Kenny's trousers. Without looking up, she said, I'm glad those are play clothes you're in. Homework finished? Yes, Mum, Kenny, Kenny replied, taking a lantern and hooking it to the handlebar of his bike. Be careful, Kenneth. I hope you know what you're doing, his father said. He sucked on his pipe and rocked slowly in his chair, watching the sunset. And tell that varmint not to eat any of my sheep. Kenny turned to his dad as he climbed onto his bicycle. I'll be fine, Pop. This is the most likely an old, worn worm. They're cold-blooded, so they are very slow once the sun goes down. I can outrun him any old day, should it come to that. Either way, I'm to find out just who he is, where he came from, and what his intentions are. Don't be out too late, his dad replied, but Kenny had already sped off out of sight. Chapter 3 Graham like the cracker. Kenny left his bicycle at the foot of Shepherd's Hill near the parish creek where he waved old Pop's possum who was at his usual fishing spot. From there he began hiking to the summit on foot. The weight of his makeshift armour made progress difficult as he worked his way past the oak and maple trees scattered about on the grass-covered hillside. The hill, the largest in the area, had been on his family's property for as long as he could remember. He collected butterflies and wildflowers here last summer, read the wind in the willows under the large willow tree at the top of the last fall, and had sled races down the side on the garbage can lid he now held as a shield. It was his prized snow saucer, and it had the scrapes and dents to prove it. Perhaps the dragon would take these marks along with the blackened pots and pans to be victorious badges of previously slain drakes and would be respectful respectful of this little, of the little buck. Perhaps the beast would even be a little scared. Kenny made it to the grassy top by sunset. From here he could see the light the little lamplights of Roundbrook flickering along the horizon. To the west billowy clouds changed in hue from gold to fiery orange, then turned red before cooling off into a lovely shade of lavender. As Kenny looked east, he could see the North Star, Polaris, twinkling low in the sky. Directly below, curled up and sleeping on the far side of the hill, was the dragon. He gulped. This animal was bigger than the illustration in his book. Much bigger. Mesmerised, Kenny slowly approached the monster, happy to be downwind of it on the off chance that it could smell him and attack. He was halfway across the hilltop when he thought the creature had sensed him because it was growling in a long, low tone, just like a lion. A giant reptilian bloodthirsty lion. Kenny froze, hoping it would stop and go back to sleep. But the beast never moved, and he soon realised it wasn't growling at all. It was purring. Look, didn't mention anything about purring whispered to himself. He pulled the bestiary out of his book bag and studied the picture once to get once again. The image depicted a dragon that was slithery, scaly and very fierce. Kenny then looked up at the specimen in front of him. It was a bit rounder and hairier and scruffier than the one drawn than what was drawn in the bestiary. Kenny held his breath and strained against gathering dark to see every little detail of the magnificent monster dozing in the twilight. He didn't dare make any noise, even though he was dying to light his lantern for a better view. After a while, the rhythmic purring 
started to make him feel relaxed. He listened while its large ribs expanded and contracted with each breath. He closed the book and put it into his satchel. At this movement, the great beast cracked open one large lemon-yellow eye. Kenny froze, mouth agape. The creature's head rose up from the ground and focused on the small rabbit studying him. Then the dragon did a sort of fake stretch and a pretend yawn and settled back down. Of course you know this move very well. It's the I'm pretending to fall asleep but I'm really wide awake move and is best used on parents when they check on you in your bed at night. The dragon closed his eyes, gave out a sigh, then said in a low gravelly voice, no throwing rocks at me or poking me with a stick or yelling at me because I won't tolerate it. And don't waste your time pouring water on me to douse my fire because that doesn't work at all. I just got comfy on a nice cool spot of grass here and I'm trying to sleep. So leave your food off food and off you go. The dragon's world words trailed off and he began to fake sleep began fake sleeping again, making a purring sort of snoring sound. Kenny cleared his throat. <clears throat> nothing. Uh, <clears throat> Still nothing. He had to try another tactic. Were all dragons this unresponsive? No wonder they were practically extinct. <clears throat> Bantling, aren't you? Here with an offering, a meal, and libation perhaps. Leave it by my entryway, and then you'd best scurry home. It's getting late. I, I didn't bring you anything, Kenny stammered. No food, the dragon said, not moving a single scale. Then why on earth have you brought those pots and pans? Surely you were planning on cooking me a delicious dinner. He eyed the garbage can lid shield and serving on that large metal platter. Not only has his, had his book not mentioned dragons purring, it hadn't mentioned bringing gifts either. Clearly the author did not take his subject seriously, or else he hadn't done his research thoroughly. Kenny set his broom lance on the ground. Well, I do have a bestiary that I've been reading, but now I'm not so sure, it's, sure of its accuracy. A bestiary, really? The dragon's eyes opened wide and he quickly sat up. He rubbed his scaly paws together. Come on then, let's have a look. He extended his hand. It was nearly as big as Kenny and ended in long sickly shaped or sickle shaped claws. The young rabbit pulled the old book out of his satchel. He grabbed the ribbon bookmark and opened the book to the page titled Dragons. Please don't burn it. I'm borrowing it from a friend of mine. Burn it? What sort of unchancy fire drake do you take me for? Why, I'd just as soon burn my own tail as burn a book. He looked at the title on the cover, The King's Royal Bestiary. Hmm, let's see here what it says. The dragon stretched out his long curly tail and reached it into the opening, hidden in the shadows of the rocks and boulders on the hillside. From there he pulled out a pair of metal framed spectacles and set them on the furry bridge of his nose. To the lad they were the size of dinner plates. Kenny removed the pot from his head and slowly sat down on it. He didn't want to make any quick movements, but he was ready to bolt just in case the beast showed any signs of aggression. Wouldn't you just know it? A book arrives and there's a gnar there's gnarly the light to read it in. Do you mind lighting your lantern? Okay, Kenny said. Sure. As he lit the lantern, fireflies began flitting about the top of the hill. They quietly blinked around the monster's head, giant head, revealing a jagged, toothy grin as he studied the pages. Giving his best performance as he, as a relaxed visitor, Kenny sat back down on his pot and plucked a stalk of grass. Casually chewing it, he asked, How long are you here for? Hard to say, the dragon muttered, flipping through the pages. Hmm. He then snorted, rubbish. Well written, but the facts are not at all right. What do you mean? 
Kenny asked. Look here, it says, a dragon's strength is found within its long and dangerous te tail. Tying the tail in a knot will render the foul beast harmless. Be warned, all drakes kill anything they catch with their vicious coils. Not true. Do you, little bantling, kill everything you encounter? Why, no, Kenny replied. He was wishing that the pot was on his head after all, and he gripped his garbage can lid shield tightly. Exactly, said the dragon. But I could easily say that the general populace pretty much destroys everything they come in contact with. They certainly do when encountering a fellow like me. And I'm not killing you at the moment, am I? Kenny thought about this for a bit. Was it some sort of trick? His heart was beating fast and he was ready to take off, leaving everything behind. His parents, of course, would be quite upset for abandoning the cook pot and the lantern up on the hill. Certainly George would be cross as well, and Kenny didn't have the allowance to replace the beastery he was borrowing. He looked up at the dragon. You're not killing me at this moment, no. Nor do I intend to. The truth of the matter is I've never killed a thing in my life, the dragon said as he closed the book and eyed Kenny. That was the fashion many years ago with the other dragons. They were so earnest, you know, burning down castles, fighting knights and eating bed bedizened princesses. That was never my cup of tea. I'm more of a what you call a uh, renaissance fellow. I like to see the world and savour it, not destroy it. So instead of burning down a castle, I would admire its architecture. Instead of fighting a knight, I'd challenge him to a good game of chess. And I'd never eat a princess. Instead, I'd create a wonderful flower arrangement for her to match the silk drapes in her palace, of course. Really, Kenny said. This dragon was certainly not at all what he had expected. Not a scourge of devil or even a nuisance. Well, said the dragon with a sigh. That was how I got by, live and let live, which was all fine and dandy until I got trapped. Kenny set down his garbage can lid shield and loosened the frying pan tied to his chest. Go on. It took me completely by surprise, you see. I was snoozing under a tree very much like this willow right here, when the ground literally opened up and swallowed me. A fisher, Kenny said. You must have been in an earthquake. Whoa! He stood up on top of his pot. How did you survive? I drank lava and ate firestones, which allowed me to breathe fire for the first time ever. Of course, they also gave me a horrendous heartburn, which I still have to this day, but that doesn't matter because the lava and the firestones saved my life. They did. Sure, I sat there under the earth and well. Actually, I got caught up on my beauty sleep first, so I slept there under the earth for years and years. But I kept dreaming of life up here, the glorious sunsets, the whispering trees, the birds singing gaily and the daffodils, oh, and the creme brulee. As he said this, the dragon rose to his full height, causing the swarm of fireflies to swirl and dance around him. As Drake spoke, looked, as, Drake, as the drake looked up, Kenny followed his gaze to the sky, which was so bright from the Milky Way that he could not tell where the fireflies ended and the stars began. The dragon took in a deep breath, then looked back down at Kenny. And so I finally awoke. With my fiery breath, I blasted and burned a tunnel back up to the surface to see it all again. I mean, how could I miss all of this? That's when I arrived here. What a tale, Kenny said. What do you plan on doing now that you're here? Not much. Enjoying some fresh country air, eat a good meal, catch up on my reading and write some poetry. Actually, I consider myself quite a poet. Would you like to hear one of some of my poems? I tried to recite a bit to an older chap who was up here earlier today, but he scurried off. Even after all these years, I suppose I can still have that effect on someone. That was my dad, Kenny said. You scared him good. Scared him? Goodness. Was my rhyme that bad, said the dragon. I don't think you understand your situation, Kenny sighed. You're considered a devil and a, and a scourge to society. Just like it said in the book, folks usually want to hunt you down. The dragon put a claw over his mouth and let out a smoky snicker. Hunt me for what? In proper etiquette? There are the ones, they are the ones writing horrible accuracies, dragon facts in their book. 
it should be me who is hunting them down. But you don't. Kenneth! The call rang out across the pasture from the direction of the farm. That's my mum. I've got to go or they'll be worried. Besides, I've got to get ready for bed. Kenny said as he grabbed his lantern. Can I get my book back, dragon? Graham, the dragon replied. My name is Graham. Just like the cracker, except with an E on the end. And it was a great and it was great chatting to you. Um, Kenny, well, Kenneth, but everyone calls me Kenny. Well, Kenny, the dragon said as he headed over the makeshift lance, handed over the makeshift lance and shield. Do come up again and bring your folks. In fact, let's do dinner tomorrow night. You bring the food and I'll supply the entertainment. Is your mum a good cook? Tell her I have a ravenous appetite for souffle, glazed carrots, mashed potato and of course creme brulee. Okay, I'll ask, Kenny said. And the book? Oh, please let me give it a read tonight. How I love good fiction. With that, Kenny dashed back down the hill and hopped onto his bike. Excitedly, he pedalled towards his house. He couldn't wait to tell his parents how curious, how interesting the dragon was, whose name happened to be Graham, truly was. Thanks, everyone. Hello everyone, this is Kenny and the Dragon, Chapter 4. You're all right in my book. It was getting late now, and Kenny's mum was pacing on the front porch, awaiting her son's return. Kenny's father was untroubled by the lateness and reminded her that they should trust their son's judgment on matters concerning nature and fairy tales. And as Kenny coasted in out of the darkness and into the yellow porch light, he knew it was going to take some work to convince his folks to go up and meet Graham. So he got to it immediately upon his return. He recounted in great detail his conversations with the dragon. During his bath, he told his mum he was swallowed up in an earthquake centuries ago where he survived by drinking lava and eating fire rocks. But it's okay, he won't burn me. As he climbed into bed, he told his father, Gra his father, Graham says there used to be dragons everywhere, eating people and burning castles. But don't worry, Dad, he won't eat me. And at breakfast the next morning, he told both his parents he likes to read and recite poetry and eat cream creme brulee. I, I can't wait to see him again. I'm thrilled to hear you've met someone you get along with so well, Kenneth, his mother said as she flipped her fourth helping of pancakes onto his father's plate. But if you're planning on spending more time with that dragon, then I think it's best that your father and I go up and meet him too. Don't you think so, Pa? I do indeedy, his father replied as he sipped his coffee. As long as this isn't some plan to eat my sheep, my son, or, or us, we're all on the same page. So after school and after his father brought the flock in for the day, the family trotted up the top, to the top of the hill with picnic baskets in hand to meet Kenny's new acquaintance. As they neared the grassy summit, Kenny's father stopped, them all just short of the hilltop. He leaned on his walking stick, and sized Graham up while slowly chewing on a stalk of grass. The large blue-scaled creature was arranging the boulders at the, his cave entrance. He'd step back and study them, then adjust one here and another there, and then step back and look at them again. Finally, he noticed Kenny and his family watching him. Arrah, ho there, Graham said with a toothy grin. I was tidying the place up for your visit. Kenny's father put his paw on his son's shoulder and spoke first. So, you're not the type of fellow to be deceitful to my little boy and trick us all into your belly. The drake's eyes went wild and he let out a slight, the slightest gasp. Goodness gracious, no, he replied, but I may trick you into reciting a favourite poem. If your son's a chip off the old block, I would imagine you are a fellow connoisseur of the spoken word, yes? Kenny's dad just stood there chewing on his stalk of grass. The dragon looked at Kenny for a sign, but the boy just shrugged. At last, his mum grabbed his father's by the arm and smiled at Graham. We are very delighted to meet you, Mr. Dragon. Thank you for not eating us. I think you'll enjoy my cooking much better anyway. She turned to Kenny. Kenneth, dear, help me set up the picnic basket. Please allow me, Graham said, and walked up to offer assistance. In doing so, he inadvertently stepped right on Kenny's father's foot. His father didn't utter a word. His large eyes said it all. 
I'm terribly sorry, sir, Graham said, then hiccuped. A small fireball puffed out of his mouth and engulfed the farmer. Kenny's father looked down at his son as the last of his singed eyebrows fell to the ground. The boy kept his mouth shut tight, barely suppressing his giggle. Oh, goodness, the dragon said, covering his mouth. I am a bit skimble-scamble today, and when I get nervous, I... Kenny's mum took her apron off and wiped the ash from her husband's face. Kenny, she said, get some cool water for your father's foot. It should keep the swelling down. There's the creek at the foot of the hill, Graham said as he took the bucket that they'd used to carry the, refresh the refreshments. In the dragon's scaly hand, it looked like a little drinking cup. Let me go, hick, get it. With that, he bounded off. I don't want any winding, Pa, Kenny's mum said, putting his hat back on over his singed hair. You'll be fine. Besides, you're making him as nervous as, as all get out. When Kenny's dad comfortably, with Kenny's dad comfortably soaking his foot, dinner was served. Spread out on the gingham picnic blanket was a delicious meal of radish souffle, sweet glazed carrots and parsley potatoes. The dragon squealed. Oh, I haven't had sweet morsels like this in a long, long time. Then he grabbed the entire bowl of carrots and tipped them over his open maw. Hey, mister, Kenny's mum thumped Graham with her wooden ladle. Mind your manners. My apologies, he replied, gently placing the bowl back down on the blanket. It's just that this spread is spectacular and the mouth-watering aroma took complete control of me. The dragon winced with embarrassment and Kenny chortled. As he enjoyed their supper, Graham told Kenny's mum the stories he'd heard of the grand meals the royal chefs cooked each day for the king and he even gave her a few recipes. The creme brulee, torched expertly by Graham using his left nostril, was delicious. Kenny's dad smoked his after-dinner pipe while Graham recited several of his favourite poems above the twitter of chirruping crickets. As Kenny watched the lights flicker on in the town below, he thought it was one of the best dinners ever. Well, Mr Graham, Kenny's mum said, we must be getting back. I have a kitchen to clean and a boy to get to bed. After all, this is a school night. Understandable, my lady. Thank you all so much for coming up and visiting, said Graham. It was a magnificent meal. He turned to Kenny's dad. I apologise for the foot. I trust it will be okay. I'll be just dandy, dragon. He paused for a moment, stroking his whiskers. You know, being that there is this here hill is on our property, you can stay up here as long as you like. He knelt down and gathered their dinnerware. Just watch yourself, folks. Might not like to might not take a liking to a dragon living in these parts. Mum's the word. So long, Graham, Kenny said as he showed, shook hands, well, claw with him. See you tomorrow. Both the dragon and the young rabbit looked over at Kenny's parents. Oh, of course, his mum said. But Pa is right to be careful. School the following week was not as exciting to Kenny as it had been before he'd met the dragon. Summer break was fast approaching and every class was packed with end of year merriment. Even so, Kenny couldn't wait to get home so he could spend the remainder, remainder of his day with his newfound friend. Every afternoon, Kenny went up to visit the dragon on the hill. On the weekend, Kenny's mum invited Graham to have dinner at their house. But since he was far too large to come inside, they decided it was best that he simply put his massive head through their kitchen window where a place was set for him at their table. The following Tuesday was the last day of school and the students were let out early. Kenny rode his bike as fast as he could to the top of the Shepherd's Hill so that he could tell Graham about his day. He found him sitting in front of an old upright piano, wires jutting out from the top of it like dead stems in a flower vase. Ho, battling! Look what your mum found in the barn. I think I can get it working again. Graham said as he pulled on a string and gently tapped a key. Neat, Kenny replied. Hey, I received my grade book, grade book report today. And, well, my teacher was fine with me switching books. She knew I'd read the stars and their constellations before anyways. But I'm not sure what, what she thought of me debunking the facts the king 
of in the king's royal beastery. She felt that those scholars must be the best in the land. After all, they were hired by the king. King Schming, what does he know? Graham replied, tapping another key. Exactly. I told her that unlike the author of the book, I had first-hand account of what a real dragon was like. Graham stopped hitting the piano keys and looked at Kenny. What did, what did she say? She said I had a great imagination and gave me a B-plus for effort. Well done. You'll go on to write your own beastery some day, you'll see. The dragon smiled and returned to tuning the piano. So, Kenny said as he emptied out his book bag, what are we reading next? A dozen different books gathered from his bedroom bookshelf fell out onto the grass. For the next couple of weeks, the dragon and Kenny read every book that he owned. I had no idea the entire planet was populated by giant lizards like myself. What a rollicking time they must have had, Graham said on the Book of Dinosaurs. Hmm, this Beowulf fellow had a severe anger management problem, he sneered after he and Kenny read the epic poem about the Nordic warrior. He's quite a black guard, if you ask me. You mean to tell me that these creepy crawlies turn into beautiful butterflies? Now that's true magic, he declared after studying Kenny's book on insects. Some days or two were too excited to relax and read so they would invent other fun activities to do. I had no idea you could make a kite out of stuff from around your house, Kenny said, as they flew homemade kites on the hilltop one windy afternoon. Wow. I am no good with watercolours, the lad said, with a sigh one dusky evening, but this sunset it sure is pretty, and your painting looks great. My mum used to play a lot, Kenny said, sitting at the piano stool. She's going to flip when she hears that I learned how to play chopsticks. It's her favourite. One sunny Friday afternoon, the two were relaxing under the shade of the large willow. What made it extra comfy was that they were on an old rug Kenny's mum had brought up from the house, the dragon to sleep on. I'd love to hear more tales by those these grim brothers, Graham said, munching on a pear. Their work is quite entertaining. I really like them too, Kenny agreed, grabbing a pair of his own, out of the bushel blanket. Bushel basket, sorry. You know George, who owns the bookshop in town, said they didn't really create those stories. Really? Who did? The locals in the countryside. They told their stories to the brothers who just collected them and wrote them down. Wow, Graham said with a mouthful of pear. What a great town they must have lived in. Look at, all, look at the tales that came from it. Yeah, too bad nobody in this town is like that. Everybody here is more worried about the crops than telling stories, said Kenny, looking down at the round brook, looking down at round brook from the hilltop. I can understand that. We all need food, Graham said, picking his teeth. But I bet you could come up with a grand tale of your own and I could help you write it. Really, the boy said, looking up. Sure, why not? Who else is going to create the next great stories for kids to read, said Drake. The Drake replied. Kenny thought about this for a moment and then looked down at the books scattered around him on the blanket. Graham, he said. A lot of other kids in town, they don't, well, they don't really get me. I don't even know if they like me. Nonsense, complete nonsense, the dragon declared and then began counting off on his clawed fingers. You're well read, you love nature, you love food, music, art, poetry, what's not to like? The boy sighed. I just wanted to say, he said, still looking down, you're the best friend I've ever had. Really, Graham replied. His lemony eyes were wide and glowing in the shade of the willow tree. You know, little battling, you're all right in my book. Even though I have vicious coils... Kenny said with a smile. Even with your vicious coils, your, you devil scourge, said Graham and threw a pear core at Kenny, which he dodged with ease as he scuttled behind the trunk of a willow. So, tell me, are there any storytellers like those, these Grimm brothers? Oh yes. George told me about another guy named Hans something. Kenny reappeared on the opposite side of the tree trunk. I can get his book next. He lobbed a pear core of his own back at Graham, which the drake caught in his toothy maw and spit back at the boy. Ducking as it flew overhead, Kenny added, I should probably go and see George tomorrow. I usually visit him once a week and I haven't been to town in a while. And so early the next day, after his chores were finished, Kenny rode into town to return the borrowed book to his friend George. It was on Main Street, in the centre of his little town of Roundbrook that Kenny spied quite a gathering.
Townsfolk and villagers were huddled around a newsboy who was, who was selling them the daily paper as fast as his little paws could go. The citizens mumbled, whispered and growled amongst themselves. Graham would enjoy a bit of local news, Kenny thought, as he put, hopped off his bike and wiggled into the mass. People will come from far and wide. It will certainly create a ruckus, that's for sure, he heard someone say. I don't believe it at all. This is rubbish. No, I heard it. I heard somebody saw it firsthand. But the children, I wonder if there should be a curfew. Not to worry, the matter shall be resolved very soon. Then the, Kenny saw the headline. Dragon spotted in Roundbrook. Infamous scourge seen on Shepherd's Hill. Fear not, citizens. Extermination is imminent. Oh dear. Chapter 5. The least bit worried. Kenny stared at the newspaper in disbelief. The town had found out about Graham and they wanted him exterminated. What was Kenny going to do now? What if it ransacks our harvest? It would be devastating, an old farmer moaned. If that thing burns my crops, I'll get my revenge for sure, another steered, clenching his fists. We could get a posse together and take him out. Who's with me? Well, where is it? someone else shouted. The paperboy pointed to Kenny and said, Ask him. He's living on his hill and he told our whole class about how he knew the dragon firsthand. A hush fell over the group as they turned to look at the boy. A weird river stone in the stomach feeling hit Kenny hard and the lad hopped on his bicycle and pedalled away as fast as he could. Kenny skidded to a stop in front of George's store. The borough bookshop was located at the quiet street, on a quiet street with a little with little storefronts lining both sides. Fortunately, it looked like no one was, no one from the gathering had followed him there. A little bell tinkled as Kenny pushed the door open and slipped into the shop. As the oak door swung closed, he peered through the window one last time to see if they, if, he, if he was being trailed, but there was no one to be seen on the cobblestone street outside. As he exhaled and caught his breath, the familiar mixed scent of wood, old leather-bound books and hot tea greeted him. He made his way through the dusty labyrinth of dimly lit bookshelves and armchairs. He approached the sales desk, which was clustered with stacks of books, and peered over the countertop. Charlotte, George's young shop assistant, poked her head out from the little office behind the counter. She was a bit older than Kenny and quite popular around the town. Her parents were tailors and lived right next door. She'd been helping out in the shop for as long as Kenny could remember. Hey, Kenny, we haven't seen you in a while. How are you doing? Hi, Charlotte. I'm okay, I guess. He plopped the bor bo borrowed books down on the counter. Have you seen George lately for some reason? Kenny, feels Kenny felt a bit shy when he was around Charlotte. In fact, it was hard for him to look at her directly. She had such big, bright, sparkly eyes that he glanced at her just briefly. Then he had to look down at his feet. If you can believe it, he's actually gone out, she said with a chuckle. He had to go down to post the post office to sign for some mail. I think it might have been some official royal thingy from the palace. Huh? Kenny had heard stories of George's past exploits during his services as a cavalier. For some reason, he couldn't picture his old friend doing the things he'd often recounted in his tales. He sometimes suspected that they were half fabricated from all the books and the, the codger had read. But George was the smartest fellow in town as far as Kenny was concerned. If any would have any answers on how to best handle the Graham situation, it would be him. Now, on the day the boy needed him, he was out. Hey, did you see the paper today? A dragon, a real live dragon spotted near here. It's unbelievable, Charlotte said, as she took the books and sorted down, sauntered down an aisle. I heard old Pop's possum saw it drinking from par the parish creek. Great, Kenny thought to himself. Now everybody knows where Graham is. It's just a matter of time before someone else spots him, probably frolicking about the hilltop. What is taking George so long? He hopped along, following Charlotte into the natural history section of the store. Yeah, I know, crazy. Hey, can you let George know I'll stop back to by tomorrow? Are you sure you don't want to hang out and wait? He'll probably be back soon. I know he's been dying to see you, she said as she put the, the bistro back up on the shelf. No, he replied as he glanced at the book. I've got some stuff I need to take care of. Okay, you know the shop will be closed tomorrow, but he'll be home. 
Charlotte said, and then stopped arranging the books. Hey, Kenny, is everything all right? I'm okay, he replies. I've just got a lot on my mind. With a wild monster on the loose, I can understand. But hey, don't worry, the lass said, what with a smile and those big sparkly eyes. I'm sure everything is going to be just fine. Heading back up the hill, the boy found the dragon with the wreath on his head, reciting lines to a captive audience consisting of Kenny's parents and their flock of sheep, who had been by now gotten used to Graham's presence. Now for thy fairy kingdom, fairies away, we shall chide downright if I longer stay. With this declaration, the dragon ran around the hilltop, causing the sheep to scatter in all directions. He stopped when he noticed Kenny walking walking his bike towards them. Hey there, battling. You're just in time. You can play Oberon, he said with a toothy grin. Hello, Kenny replied. He leaned his bike against the truck of, trunk of a large weeping willow and trudged over to his parents. He flopped down the blanket next to them and upset a glass of lemonade. What is it, Kenneth? What's wrong? His mum wiped his face with the bottom of her apron. He pulled away from her and reached into his satchel. This, he answered and stood up handing the newspaper to Graham. What is it, Kit? his father said. What does it say? It says, Graham read aloudly, scanning the article, that I am to be exterminated. Kenny's parents exchanged glances. Look here, that daft scribe misspelled imminent. Ha! Huh? He continued reading the paper, flipping through the pages. Ooh, look, here, wood word puzzles. What? Aren't you the least bit worried? asked Kenny. No, not at all. There will be no exterminations imminent or otherwise, otherwise, Graham replied with a wink. Now come on, we're getting to the good part of the play. I'm not feeling very theatrical today. Can I just watch? Sure, but I expect a bouquet at the end for my grand performance, the dragon said with a smile. Kenny sat with his parents and continued watching Graham. The drake carried on, seemingly oblivious to the ruckus that was brewing in town. Kenny's dad quietly relaxed, sipping some lemonade while his mum knit a, knit a pot holder. And even though the boy appeared calm, the river stone stomach feeling had not gone away. Hello everyone, this is Albert LeBlanc by Nick Butterworth. Hold on a minute. This is Albert LeBlanc. Even from the back, he looks sad. His head hangs low and his shoulders are hunched and his arms flop loosely by his side. From the front, Albert LeBlanc looks very sad indeed. He has the saddest eyes you ever saw, which is strange because Albert LeBlanc... But wait, let me tell you this story from the very beginning. And the little mouse is on the front page. Oh. When Albert LeBlanc first appeared, sitting all by himself in Mr Jolly's toy shop, the other toys could only stare. He did look so sad. Poor love, said Sally the hippo. We must try and cheer him up. There's a giraffe, a dinosaur, a jack-in-the-box, a fireman, a mouse. Oh my goodness, there's lots of toys in the toy shop. You could do your funny dancing, said Toby the cat. That would make him laugh. My dancing is not funny, said Sally. It's beautiful and artistic. The other toys looked at each other and tried not to smile. I know a joke, said a little mouse called Pickle, but I can't remember the funny bit at the end. Everyone agreed that this could make the joke a lot less funny. It might even make it not funny at all. Pickle flopped down and stared at the floor. It was then that a jack-in-a-box, who at that very moment was not in his box, had an idea. Why don't we all try very hard to think of something happy and funny? Something to cheer up a very sad bear. Then we could put all our things together and make a show. It was a good idea. Everybody thought so. At first the toys sat quietly thinking, what could they say? What could they do? Something happy, something funny. Morris, the steam engine, let off a little steam as he tried to think. Lizzie, the humming top, hummed to herself as she thought. Mm. I remember my joke, squeaked Pickle. Suddenly, shh, 
dear, said Sally. I'm getting an idea. All at once it seemed that the other toys were getting ideas too. Toby began to snigger and the jack-in-a-box started to chuckle. Sally began to titter and went off to borrow a hat and to find some face paints. Albert LeBlanc watched from where he was sitting. All the toys became very busy. What was going on? What were they up to? Albert LeBlanc did not have to wait very long to find out. Sally was the first to introduce herself. Good evening, she said with a bow. I am Sally Hippopotamus and ballerina. This evening, the toys of Mr Jolly Shop will present a happy and entertaining treat, especially to cheer and amuse and tickle the funny bone of a very sad bear. Albert LeBlanc looked puzzled. I'm very pleased to meet you, he said. My name is Albert, Albert LeBlanc. I am from France. But please let me say, you, you must not think that I am... But Albert LeBlanc was not allowed to say. I apologise, didn't do it in a French accent. Never mind. Silence, please, for Miss Pickle. The hippopotamus boomed loudly. Pickle came and stood nervously in front of a large, sad-looking bear. She shuffled her feet and cleared her throat. <clears throat> but no words came out. Whatever Pickle had remembered earlier, she had suddenly forgotten again. I can't remember my joke, she said, and she flopped down again and stared at the floor. Never mind, said Albert kindly. I'm sure it was very funny, and you really must not think that I am. But at that moment, with a twang and a zing, Jack in a Box sprang out of his box and bounced up and down in front of Albert. And as he did, he began to sing. I bounce with a boing. I bounce with a poing. And while I'm bouncing, I'm singing a soing. Be careful, dear, said Sally. But Jack in a Box was enjoying himself. He bounced even higher. I like to bounce high. As high as the sky. Sometimes when I'm bouncing, I'm sure I could flop. Thump. Oh, dear. Poor Jack, he bounced so high he bumped his head on the shelf. He fell in a tangled heap in front of Albert. Slight technical problem, mumbled Jack as he tried to untie the knot which he had accidentally tied in his long body. Albert hid his face in his paws. Please do not worry, he said. You really, really must not think that I am. Once again, Sally did not let him finish. To Albert's amazement, she leapt out in front of him wearing a yellow pointed hat, a big red face painted smile. Of course, Sally did not mean to be funny, but she didn't mean to slip or slide and she most certainly did not mean to crash into Albert LeBlanc, but that is just what Sally did. Oh dear. Together, the bear and the hippopotamus landed in a confused heap. From underneath Sally, Albert LeBlanc let out a great roar. Please! He shouted, I'm trying to tell you, I am not unhappy. There was silence. As Sally and Albert struggled to get up, Albert went on. I am not sad at all. It's just the way I'm made. I just happen to have a sad look on my face. Oh, no, you don't, interrupted Toby the cat. Not anymore. Suddenly... Everyone saw that Albert LeBlanc was wearing a great big red smile. It was Sally's smile. The toys began to giggle. Oh, silly me, said Sally. I'm so sorry. I must have kissed you by mistake. The toys giggled even more and some of them laughed out loud. But now what was happening to Albert LeBlanc? He began to shake he grabbed hold of his tummy, his shoulders started to heave and up and down and his nose wrinkled up and his eyes almost disappeared. Then to everyone's great surprise, Albert LeBlanc roared out the funniest and loudest laugh of any of the toys had ever heard. Hee hee! Hee hee! Hee hee! 
Albert's enormous laugh made everyone else laugh even more. <laughs> At last, Jack in the Box managed to speak. Well, he giggled. Who would have thought that a little kiss could put such a big smile on someone's face? Everybody laughed again. But the biggest, deepest, loudest and the funniest laugh of all came from a sad-looking bear called Albert LeBlanc. <laughs> a big thank you. Thanks, everyone. 